Hello, everybody, and welcome to the March 24th, 2020 edition of Peaceful Globalist Review. I am your host, the Peaceful Globalist, Ephraim Josine. Now, I would like to start by once again welcoming a new platform, the Peaceful Globalist Review family, that being Pocket Casts, which is another place you can listen to podcasts, including this one. Again, thanks to the amazing, and I do mean amazing, folks at Anchor. Now, guys, I'm also going to talk about this for a second. Um, the mic giving us some trouble recently. You may notice there have been some parts where it's not so much that I pause where I like stutter a little. I've just been using the default laptop mic the entire time. Anchor gives me the option for a few other microphones. And normally it's not a big deal. The episode's like 15 minutes long. But last episode was 44 minutes long. And we're probably going to have hopefully none that are that long for a while. But there will be a couple here and there, especially when the election season comes around, that are going to be around that length. Um... So I just want you guys to keep that in mind. I'm sorry ahead of time. I'm trying a few other mics. There are other mic options at Anchor Gives. We're going to see if there's any difference in those. I don't know if there will be or not. But, oh, well, you got to try something. And eventually I'll just probably just buckle on down and get a real microphone instead of just using my laptop camera. <laughs> well... You know what they say. No, I don't. Anyway, yesterday we talked about Ken Jennings being insensitive towards Rand Paul and all the people who hate libertarians all of a sudden feeling that they shouldn't be mean to us and then going and being mean to us again. Remember, guys, it's okay to insult people unless, as long as you don't directly name names. Now, of them, the person I use as an example was a fellow named Josh Hammer. I'm going to use that example again. So let's compare Ken Jennings' insensitive comment to an appropriate comment Josh Hammer made on Twitter. Or at least he quoted another guy named Daniel Greenfield making. So this is an insensitive Ken Jennings comment. I'm sure Rand Paul's immune system will be able to pull itself up out of illness without any tyrannical outside intervention. Shame, Ken Jennings. Why can't you be sensitive like Josh Hammer and Daniel Greenfield, who say things like, After voting for Bernie Sanders, Californians are discovering what it's actually like to live in Venezuela, Cuba, or the Soviet Union, where they have no rights, there's nothing in the stores, and nothing works. Huh. They sound like the exact same comments. And again, I'm not a fan of Bernie Sanders. I like Rand Paul. But at the same time, can we all just acknowledge that sometimes an unfunny joke is just an unfunny joke? And not this big evidence of hatred? Because typically, the main difference between um, the comments that are seen as normal and the comments that are seen as offensive is that the comments that are seen as offensive are quoted more often. That's what it comes down to. If people were quote tweeting uh, what Hammer said here or what Greenfield said, 
there would be outrage, but nobody's quoting because nobody cares. Because despite the fact Hammer is a verified account, nobody reads his tweets aside from me, and that's only to insult him. Actually, there is one difference. I'll say it. There's one difference. Ken Jennings said that one person might have deserved it because of that one person's actions. Okay. Greenfield and Hammer said that 40 million people deserve it because of the actions of 2 million. Oh, no. That's the other thing. Does this guy think it was like 100% in for Sanders? Sanders only got... 35.6% of the vote of Democratic primary in California. Oh my god, that's such a gotcha. A third of them agree with these. A third of these small portion that vote in the Democratic primary agree with this, and now 40 million people are suffering. Isn't that hilarious, guys? 5% of the population of California did something stupid. Now everyone's screwed. That's hilarious. No, you're kind of a bad person. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, but you just kind of are at that point. There's no other way to put it. Kind of a dick. And you know what? It's fine to be a dick. I'm kind of a dick, too. But don't get really angry at people also being dicks when you're a dick. You dick. Anyway, so basically the entire rest of the show, we're going to be talking about U.S. policies in China. However, I would like to open by talking about somebody. If you read my Medium articles... Or my articles for the Liberty Hawk. You recognize the name. But if not, ladies and gentlemen, meet Yoharm Hazan. You don't know who that is. He is the Israeli philosopher who wrote the book The Virtue of Nationalism. Most people know him for that PragerU video where he said that Hitler was not a nationalist. Which, um... Maybe I could, you could argue, but he didn't do a very good job, because why would he? Um, I've written several articles on him over at the Liberty Hawk, most notably about how he doesn't understand anything and is horribly dishonest. I've even asked the phrase, is there anyone more dishonest than Yoharm Hazani? And to this day, I have seen nobody more dishonest than him. He's basically the founder of the modern nationalist movement, if you will, or at least one of the big wigs in that sphere, along with people like Soharm Arami, and you can even throw in the president and Boris Johnson and people like that. Okay. And, of course, the nationalist movement is slipping out from under him because... Here's the other thing. Literally the only nationalists who approve of the state of Israel, where he lives, are nationalists in Israel. <laughs> I've documented that as well, how like Nick Fuentes and the people at V-Dare are just, oh my god, it's hilarious. He is going to lose big time and it's going to be funny when he does. But anyway, anyway, I would like to open... With a quote, and I like how I say open when the segment's been going on for two minutes. 
from Hazani, as well as another fellow named Orf Harvey. That's probably not how you pronounce it. They're both Israeli names, so I'm not going to even try and pronounce two Israeli names. From their 2017, I believe, essay, What is Conservatism? Which is one of the big essays of these people. There may have been genuine advantages to soft-pedaling differences between conservatives and liberals until the 1980s, when all the strengths that could be mustered had to be directed towards defeating communism abroad and socialism at home. But we are no longer living in the 1980s. Those battles were won, and today we face new dangers. Hmm. So, I'd like to open by asking, what do you, what? There are the obvious problems with that quote. I pointed out before, in fact, the idea that there are no socialists at home, when in truth, socialism has been gaining a much bigger foothold in the U.S., way bigger than it did during any point of the Cold War era. You know, if you just look at, what was it, one or two elections after the Cold, after the Soviet Union fell, we had a sizable population of the U.S. vote for people like Ralph Nader, who is a socialist. You know, Bernie Sanders is a sitting senator right now. We have someone who's a member of Democratic Socialists for America, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, in the House of Representatives right now, and she's apparently a rising star. So the idea there are no socialist threats at home is absurd, but I'd like to focus on um, the other part, which is defeating communism abroad. Now, the president of the United States, who, by the way, Hazani has said is a nationalist and has praised on that account, is currently taking on the biggest communist country in the U.S., that being China. China has a population of one billion people and is run by Xi Jinping, who is a member of the Chinese Communist Party. All of that is objective fact. Okay. So, you would expect this to be kind of a difficult time for Hazani, because he thought that you know, communism was defeated. We could just go home. We could all start being social conservatives again. And side note, it, it would never be defeated because nationalism is one of those philosophies that really only works when somebody else agrees on it. You know, I don't think uh, someone like Mossadegh really gave a crap what the Balkans, what the nationalists in the Balkans were saying back in the 90s. <laughs> Saddam Hussein did not take the feelings of the Kuwait nationalists into account, dude. Uh, nationalism is the most utopian ideology out there, without a doubt in my mind. So, you would be expecting his eye to be conflicted, and maybe he'd be expressing that. Well, I am going to read you every single tweet he has sent related to China. Hear that silence? That's on purpose. There are no comments by him on this administration's decision to take on China, again because it contradicts its core ideology that communism has completely fallen worldwide 
It hasn't. There are still several countries that are completely repressed. China is not even in the worst category of the index of economic freedom. It's mostly unfree. The worst you can be is repressed. I think it's 17 countries that are still repressed. But don't worry, the threat's completely gone. Uh, he's not talking about it. And the reason being, it goes against his central ideology, and he cannot stand that. And it just helps show what a fraud he is. He's not thinking this through. He's not intelligent enough to think things like this. Nationalism as an ideology, again, only works in a vacuum. If there are three people on this planet, maybe it could work. That is, until one says, I want that other guy's land. In which case, sorry, you're going to have to have either you intervene or there's an empire now. And I thought nationalists were against empires. They're probably not. They're probably just broadline isolationists. And of course, there's the whole thing about nationalists having sympathy for fascism. Which, yeah, a number of them actually did. Especially back when the America First movement was a big thing. Hey, what's that phrase Donald keeps using? <laughs> but blah. Blah. Anyway, now let's talk about China. You guys may have seen this tweet by a woman named Alison Pearson. Uh, if you haven't, she's a UK journalist who writes for The Telegram. And she tweeted, After this, let Made in China be a badge of shame. Hashtag coronavirus. Um, of course, that tweet came from an iPhone. And that's a point, by the way. A lot of people hate hearing made, but it should be made. Oh, you think it's hypocritical for a protection for someone who hates China to have an iPhone? Yeah. If you really hate China so much and you think there's such a big threat, go buy a Samsung phone. Go buy a Samsung phone. Basically, everything in that phone was made from South Korea. And I, by the way, this is a completely unrelated tangent, but I hate this idea that Apple has some kind of big monopoly. I've owned several phones throughout my lifetime. I've never once owned an iPhone. No one in my family's ever owned an iPhone. We feel Apple, by and large, are con artists. We feel that their products are not worth what they cost. So we don't buy them. We buy from Samsung. We buy from all the other different phone companies out there. Okay, I just feel that needs to be mentioned before anyone says, well, you have to have an iPhone. No, you don't. In the modern world, you may need a cell phone. I'll, I'll give you that much. A lot of people do need cell phones in order to really exist in this technology-centered world. You don't need an iPhone specifically, though. Go buy from South Korea if you really hate China so much. And let's also talk about how much does Allison Pearson make net worth-wise. Because that's the thing. I remember I saw Scott Greer, who, if you don't know, is one of the other big nationalists. I think he has a show on One American News Network. Could be wrong on that, though. Either way, he's just sort of popular in nationalist circles for being popular in nationalist circles. Uh, <laughs> say something like, oh... Twitter liberals don't really seem to like the fact that they may have to pay $5 more for their iPhone. 
Well, you know what? That is a lot of money for someone who doesn't have $5. That's at the end of the day what protectionism is about. It's about the people at the top being angry. The people at the bottom can get so much. And they even complain that people have so much access to food. That's one of their big things. Oh, we as a society consume too much. Okay, maybe we do. Doesn't mean that you should inflate the prices, cause people to starve in this comparison. Because some people overeat, that's just evil. I view that as evil. And side note, what is Alison Pearson's net worth? I looked it up earlier. I couldn't quite find it. You think she'd be harmed if everything was manufactured domestically and it all cost, we'll say, $20 more? Do you think she'd really be harmed? Don't get me wrong. She wouldn't be able to buy nearly as much as she can now in this sort of hypothetical. Do you think with how much she would actually be buying? Then versus now, in the real world where people save money and do all that, do you really think it'd be all that different? No, I don't. She has the money to buy it domestically, and she doesn't anyway. What does that tell you? Uh, there are some other tweets of hers on the topic of China. I'm going to find one other real quick. Let's see, where is it? Okay, here it is. Uh, China interns a million Uyghur uh, Muslims in concentration camps. The left, uneasy silence. Um, no, there have been a lot of people talking out against China's concentration camps. Although, I must ask, side note, to all you nationalist commentators and all you conservative commentators, when have you cared about Muslims? Seriously, when have you? Your president directly said that all Muslims were potential terrorists at one point. Um, that's why that's why we had to ban them from entering the U.S. You know, and if you talk to a nationalist, they openly don't care. Oh, well, do you think we could help the Muslims who are suffering under Bashar al-Assad? No. Okay, do you think we should uh worry about the consequences if we pull out of Afghanistan and if the Taliban take complete over no 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 that's no big deal. That's for them to figure out. Do you think that maybe we should okay we're gonna look the other way in all these cases. Let's also look the other way regarding our biggest trade partner in a relationship that has mutually pulled up so many people out of poverty. Let's let them do that. No no we can't do that. We have to be very moralistic regarding that and that specifically. Why? Because shut up. Now, it's this weird, they are only moralistic. They only care about Muslims. When it in some way involves them demonizing the U.S. That's what it comes down to. When we're actually helping Muslims by say, getting rid of the Taliban, no, that's bad. We can't do that. Um, but now let's look over a side note that had nothing to do with the rest of the context of Pearson's tweet. Uh, here's the other half. China blamed for lying about coronavirus leading to thousands of deaths and economic meltdown worldwide. 
the left. Racist! Who are they saying that to? The Chinese? That'd be very weird because lying about the coronavirus and causing economic meltdown isn't racist. Bad, but it's not racist. Oh, uh, you worded that tweet weirdly is the point. I have no idea what the first bit about Weiger Muslims has to do with the whole statement, which is, I guess people are being silly and calling the idea that China's to blame for the coronavirus racist. And yeah, it is a little racist if you're blaming a nation of one billion people as a whole uh, for an illness that started out of the dietary habits of 11 million people and then traveled here because of the actions of one American president. Do I need to pull up the quotes again? Donald Trump repeatedly said the coronavirus is under control, that he had it under airtight control. One of his aides directly said that the same day, the CDC said it wasn't a matter of if but when it gets to the U.S. He said there wouldn't be a pandemic. He denied this constantly. He created, he did all of this. But no, it's China to blame because um, 11 million people in China ate some bat soup and then they got sick. And also, China is run by authoritarians that are probably giving libertarians money or something. It just doesn't make any sense, and this is what it's all about. It's just pure elitism. That's what it is. This person can afford to buy domestically, so they're going to demonize those who can't afford to. And it is just atrocious. Anyway, last piece of news for tonight, unless I look at Twitter midway through this segment and find something kind of interesting, which probably has already happened, if I'm being honest with you. <laughs> Senator Josh Hawley, he's been in the news. He is the biggest nationalist in the Senate. He is the leading Republican populist right now. And he absolutely hates China. Okay, I don't know what they did to him. Maybe, maybe they popped his balloon when he was about eight. I don't know. But either way, he announced this on Twitter today. Today I will introduce a resolution calling for full investigation of China's Communist Party's lies and actions that killed thousands of their own people and turned hashtag coronavirus outbreak, hashtag COVID-19 into a global pandemic. Now, first off, I have no idea what this COVID-19 thing is. I'm worried about the Chinese virus. Okay, I couldn't resist that one. Um, but jokes aside, I already wrote an article kind of talking about this. Is he going to also investigate the president of the United States? Because I will never stop mentioning this. The president said there wouldn't be a pandemic, said he had it under control, had one of his top men say it was sealed airtight the same day the CDC said it wasn't a matter of if but when this disease got to the U.S. All of that and more. Um... And for that matter, what about these um, anti-coronavirus drugs the president is talking about that there haven't been any evidence of? If those end up not working, are we going to investigate him into his lies? Probably not. 
because at the end of the day, the goal is to just look for somebody else. It cannot be that the reason you're being screwed over is the president of the United States. That's their first and foremost goal is find someone else to blame. It's the same thing they always do whenever anything doesn't go their way. It's always the fault of somebody else. They can never take responsibility for their own action. Anyway, he also added the cost of Beijing's criminal conduct. What's been criminal? Seriously, what international law has been violated, Josh? You were the Attorney General of Missouri. You should be able to point me to what international piece of legislation China just broke by what? Not talking about the coronavirus? Is that it? The cost of Beijing's criminal conduct should be assured or should be a seized. Don't know why it got assured from that. And they should pay damages to the USA and the world. Well, that's completely unenforceable. That is just completely unenforceable as it is. And may I remind you that we are in debt to them. We are, most of our debt is debt that is owed to China. So is that what the damages are going to be? Them just forgiving most of our debt? Because I wouldn't be totally against that. You know what, Mr. Holly, if you get us completely debt neutral via negotiations with China, I will hail you as the greatest statesman of all time. You probably won't do that, though. And really, the whole reason they're currently doing this anti-China spree is because they're trying to get us to ignore something. And I'm near certain one of those big things is the current debt. You know, they don't want us to think about the fact that we owe all this money to China. In fact, they're probably going to encourage us to buy more from China in hopes they'll keep giving us so it will crash their economy. And of course, that will hurt a billion people, but they don't care about that. Populism is only for us elites. You're kidding. Anyway, he also tweeted this, proud to partner with Representative Eliza, I'm not entirely sure to pronounce that, Stefank, Stefank is how I'm going to say it to introduce this bicameral resolution calling for hashtag China to compensate USA and all affected countries for the harm and destruction the Communist Party unleashed with their lies and deception about hashtag coronavirus. And then it leads to um, a series of tweets from Stefank. I haven't read these yet, so I'm going to do a little bit of a blind read. Uh, thread, the communist government of China knowingly withheld critical information needed to combat the spread of the Chinese board hashtag COVID-19 and to this day continues to spread lies and information about the origins of the deadly virus. Okay, what are the origins then? What are the origins then? If you know they're lying, tell us where they lie and what the origins are. You can't. As of right now, the main consensus it was a disease that was in various animals that Chinese people have been eating, especially around the city of Wuhan. 
And it just sort of made a transition from animals to humans. The same thing happened with a few other illnesses. I think that's what happened with Ebola. I know that's what happened with AIDS. Um, so this is completely normal, completely reasonable. The only question is, what time did it start? And there are sources that say that the Chinese have been fighting it for longer than they've been talking about it publicly. Um, specifically that the Chinese have been fighting it since 2017, while we didn't hear anything about it for a good uh, two and a half years. Although we don't tend to document every single new illness either, so that's not really a big revelation. Like, of course they're not going to talk about it publicly if it's not a pandemic. Especially if there's not really a threat to the rest of the world, which there wasn't until two months ago. This whole theory is stupid. There's more. There is no doubt that China's unconceivable decision to orchestrate an elaborate cover-up. An elaborate... But <laughs> of the wide-ranging and deadly implications of the coronavirus led to the deaths of thousands of people, including hundreds of Americans, and climbing... No, it didn't. What caused the deaths of those Americans was the president refusing to shut off travel. Because he denied it existed for two months. In February, he was talking about how Democrats were politicizing this hoax. Early March, he was talking about that. And then he shut it down. And even when he was shutting down, he was talking about what a, how he didn't get how he needed to do that because he was doing a great job. Uh, it's not some master cover-up. It's just people being stupid because people in your party are stupid, especially the stupid president they picked to lead them. Uh, at Holly Emma, which is Senator Holly's Twitter account, and I are introducing a bicarmel resolution today that calls for China to provide compensation for the harm, loss, and destruction their arrogance brought upon the rest of the world. Simply put, China must and will be held accountable. Again, how do you plan to enforce something like that? Via economic aid, via some sort of weird real politic, what, what's your plan here? You don't have one because this is just you want to sound tough. It's been the staple of Republican foreign policy since the Nixon years. Just sound tough, sound macho, sound like you're engaging while also trying to engage in real politique, which is very different from fake politique for the record. Um, <laughs> but let's talk about the representative who's also taking part in this. That is Representative Eliza Stefank of New York. Um, she's a Republican from New York's 21st District, specifically. Now, she's been in Congress for five years, and she, like Holly, considers China to be a very big threat. How big of a threat does she consider it to be? Well, in those, well, she says on her website that China is a major geopolitical foe, right up there with the likes of Russia, Iran, and all the other nations um, that are enemies to us. Okay. 
So in her five years in Congress, she has not introduced or co-sponsored a single piece of legislation that would go against China. She has, however, found the time to co-sponsor two different legislations with the stated goal of going against BDS. Because you have to be nationalistic unless it involves Israel. Then you become a giant globalist. Just wow. Again, this whole anti-China movement in politics is just a fad. It is a fad at the end of the day. And Senator Hawley jumped on the bandwagon when it was trendy. If we were in the 2000s, these people don't like it because they try to pretend like the Iraq war just never happened, or they try and distance themselves as much as possible from neoconservatives. Um, I don't know why I said like it never happened. They try and act like they would have been the biggest critics of it is what I meant. If this was the 2000s, they would totally be on the um, hatred of Saddam Hussein bandwagon. Because these people are not independent thinkers. They are just sort of cogs in the Republican Party machine. And they will go whatever direction the Republican Party is telling them. That's why they now hate China. Despite the fact, might I add, Xi Jinping himself has said he wants Donald Trump to be reelected. But again, they completely ignore that. They say Joe Biden's the candidate of China, or Bernie Sanders is the candidate of China, despite the fact, again, the Chinese Communist Party has said their candidate is Donald Trump. As did Kim Jong-un, for that matter. He said Donald Trump would be a wise choice, and Vladimir Putin. Because, again, they only care about saying what the Republicans want. And right now, what the Republicans want to do more than anything, is appear to be nationalist populists. And they are doing a very bad job. Anyway, to end the night with, we're going to be talking about the stimulus packages again. The Republican-controlled Senate has nearly come to an agreement. Nearly come to one. And the stimulus package they're pitching at the White House, might I add, has also supported is six trillion dollars. Remember just yesterday when it was two trillion dollars, now it's six trillion. Two trillion of that is going to be direct money given to Congress. Another four trillion is going to be in liquidity from the Federal Reserves. Either way, I just want to talk about this for a second. Six trillion would be the largest stimulus package in U.S. history. The Obama-era stimulus recovery program was about eight hundred eighty-nine billion dollars. It was originally one point four trillion dollars, and during negotiations, that was cut down dramatically. But at the end of the day, that was still a lot of money. That was still more than anyone else before that. TARP, which was a stimulus package, was seven hundred billion dollars. So you add those, that's about $1.5 trillion right there. Maybe $1.6 trillion. I'll say $1.6 for the sake of you. Would that mean? No, it'd be $1.5 trillion. 
Yeah, we'll do 1.55 trillion, because I apparently can't do math when I'm recording. <laughs> now, we are getting a stimulus package that is four times bigger, only a third of which, might I add, is actually going to be overseen by Congress at any rate. The rest is going to be overseen by the Federal Reserve, which is notoriously shady, notoriously untrustworthy and notoriously infamous for, well, doing things like that, doing things that do not benefit the economy. We have no reason to trust them, and this is the plan the White House is going under. And there's going to be no accountability, there's going to be no oversight for a vast majority of this money. And that is, at the end of the day, what the Republicans want. I'm Ephraim, and good night.